Okay, let me ask you a question. Well, before I ask you a question, unless you've got a foundation in your life, you can't build your Christian life. You're going to be blown around everywhere. The foundation has to be the Word of God in your life. But the foundation has to be living in that Word. You say, well, yeah, the Word of God is my foundation, but are you living in it? Because if you're not, you don't have a foundation. And anything you try to build on afterwards comes crumbling down or won't last. But won't last. So my question this morning is, why, is it Christ, why do Christians lose their first love? Why do they lose their first love? The early, why does the early enthusiasm seemed of salvation seem to dissipate after a period of time? Why does that happen? They may have times of renewal, times of refreshing, but there's no continuity in their life. So they run well for a season, and then they nosedive, and then they seem to come up again and go again. And, uh, but there's no constant continuity there in their lives. It's missing. You can... You can be very active in a church. But if the inner joy is missing, you've got nothing. And when that inner joy is missing, attendance will drop off. Not that you've got to attend. We're not that kind of church. We encourage you to attend. Nobody's got to attend. That's religion. I want to be here. Yes, so do I. I do. We are, had a, we are going to install a smoke machine. I'll still stay here. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, years ago, Terry said publicly, if you ever have a smoke machine here, I'm leaving. <laughs> so we brought one in. We thought he's a man of his word, we'll test his word. But he wouldn't go. Wasn't the right kind of smoke. <laughs> The word says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we're going to have another go. Absolutely. Absolutely love you. Yeah, yeah. You can be active in the church, but if you've lost your joy, you'll not stick at it. You'll not receive anything. They become... Very people like this, Christians I'm talking about now, become very easily discouraged. Very easily discouraged. And seem to get defeated in areas which they were never defeated with at the beginning. They were overcomers. So I decided, I thought, there must be a book in the Bible that takes us in a certain direction that we can identify with in this situation. Is there a book in the Bible that takes us through, shows us? Now, when you read the Bible, you need to do it in two, for two reasons. One is to hear what God's saying, and the other is, how does this apply to my life? 
If you don't read the Bible under those, especially the second, how can I, does this word I'm reading apply in some way to my life? Because if it doesn't, it's just knowledge. The word of God is a constant check on your life. An ongoing, constant check to make sure you're walking in the right way and doing the right things. So, I found that the book of Exodus, you and I are likened to the book of Exodus. All right? So, we're going to have a little peep in there this morning. Okay? The book of Exodus. The step-by-step progress that Israel went through in their early years, so reflects in the Christian's development. So the early years of Israel, the Jews in, in the book of Exodus, coming out of Egypt onwards, reflects as a direct reflection on our Christian life. We're just like them, okay? So... The first 15 chapters, I'll give you a scripture to read in a minute from Exodus. I'm not giving too much scripture because my eyes are watering. I've got a job reading it. <laughs> so we'll trim back on the scripture reading a bit this morning. Because as I tell you, I've got hay fever. Oh. First 15 chapters of Exodus is about how they came out and what have you. Okay. God had called them out of Egypt, redeemed them by his blood to himself. He redeemed them, not just to set them free from slavery, but to be drawn to him. When you got saved, the purpose of your salvation wasn't just to get your sin removed. It was that he might become the all in all the king of your life, the Lord of your life. He did it to draw you to him. Okay. He's taken them across the Red Sea, the water barrier. Now, the problem we have is when we read this stuff, we don't read it properly. Put yourself there yourself in the middle of the people approaching the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming down behind you that's going to slaughter you. They're going to take out their vengeance upon you and then drag your wives and your children back to Egypt. They're going to wreak vengeance upon the male population of Israel at that moment at the Red Sea. Pharaoh is angry. Now we don't Unless you spend some time giving it some thought, you don't get the deeper meanings in there. What God is really saying, it was, must have been awesome. Can you imagine, Chloe, being at the Red Sea with your little daughter? And there's an Egyptian army coming bent on vengeance that's going to kill your daughter and drag you back to Egypt. Now, doesn't bear thinking about, does it? I mean, what sadly is going on in Ukraine at the moment, that war, it, we get glimpses of it on our television. I'm going to tell you, it's horrendous there. Yeah. It is, for this day and age, it is horrendous. Yeah. 
the butchery, the slaughtering of innocent people, let alone soldiers. It's horrendous. And, and we sit in our front rooms and watch the news and go, oh, that's not nice, is it? Well, praise God, we don't have that. Now, God took them across the Red Sea miraculously. Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to have been there for that. Pillar of water each side, you know, just about, it was quite wide, probably a couple of miles wide. But that pillar of water and across on dry land. Wow, that, you know. And the Egyptian army's being stalled yeah. behind me. God's dealing, starting to deal with them. And I, I can see the far shore. I'm going over. I never expected this. This is miraculous. So wonderful. It's a picture like when you first get saved, possibly. This Christian life is awesome. Awesome. He's taking them into a new land with a new leader. A new land with a new leader. He's got them out of Egypt under Pharaoh. He's got them out of that land, but he's taking them. This is God's initiative, not theirs. And he's taking them into a new land with a new leader. There's a challenge in itself. Okay. It parallels with us when God called you out. He didn't just call you into his kingdom. He called you out of another kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. He called you out of the kingdom of darkness and has brought you into a new kingdom of his glorious light with a new leader, Jesus Christ. Okay. The last chapters, 19 to 40 in Exodus, described the service required that God laid upon Moses and to give to the children of Israel, the things that God wanted them and needed them to do in their service towards him. But in between 15 and 19, chapters 15 and chapters 19, there's four interesting learning curves in there that we need to pay attention to, okay? And those four intermediary chapters. God hasn't called you to be busy for him. He's called you for more than that. But God's desire is that we might continuously be continuously working, that he might be working continuously in us, bringing us into closer, closer fellowship with him. That's the purpose of being saved, that he might introduce himself daily at a different level and a different understanding than the day before. Okay. Now, 
First of all, Israel get across the Red Sea and experience an amazing victory, a miracle, deliverance. They were so excited that they started to sing and dance. Wow. What movement were they in? What denomination were they in, singing and dancing? I had a comment the other day, um, secondhand, it was a secondhand comment, that someone said, someone in our church raised their hands, we don't want none of that business here. We don't want none of it. We're not getting involved with raising our Don't want that here. Some of us don't want that here. We don't keep it tight. Keep it. They cross the Red Sea and they're going wild. And rightly so. They know what deliverance is. They have escaped death. Total death. Their families are secure. Now they're in a new land. Can, can you, no wonder Miriam starts to sing and dance and play the tambourine. And, and as John said this morning, the exaltation on the flute and on the wind instruments and brass instruments and any instruments at all, your arms, your legs, your voice, your tongue, give it welly. You can only do that. Well, you can do that because you've done it before or you can be constantly doing it from revelation yeah. of who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that was meant to be a one-off. I think that could have been a daily practice. Yeah. Now, they were so excited, but what they didn't realize, there they are partying, Lord, on the other shore. But what they didn't realize, and I'll drop my voice down because I don't want them to know it, they were in a wilderness. Keep it to yourselves, don't tell them. It's one of the first things that you have to understand as a new Christian. God has brought you out from sin, but he has taken us into a wilderness. This world is a wilderness to the true Christian. Because now for them, it becomes a matter of daily survival. They're in a wilderness. It's a daily survival to live. Okay? Makes sense, doesn't it? Nothing more basic to us is eating and drinking. If you have a look around, you can see some people who really got it off to pat. <laughs> Not looking at anybody in particular. I thought I saw Mike riding his bike this week, but it was just a mirage. 
eating and drinking is the basics of life. So, for the first three days of crossing over, after all the excitement, something starts to dawn on them. We have no water. There they are, moving on. And suddenly, Wendy says to me, where's the water bottle? I mean, my wife can drink Burrator dry in one day. <laughs> I, it, it's unbelievable. She works from home now. I've, I've never seen it. The kettle's always on. <laughs> and in between cups of coffee and tea, she's drinking glasses of water. I think she's got a leak somewhere. <laughs> I've had to put a new toilet in since she's been working from home. She's worn the other one out. So finally, after three days, they come to that situation of Mara. And at last, they see water. But it's bitter. It's bitter water. So what do they do? Complain. They complain about the new land and the new leader. Now I'm suffering with I tell you suffering with hay fever in this one. I take visa. I take visa cards or chocolate or jelly babies, anything you want to know. I'm suffering with hay fever. Do you know what? I've been in this church for 35, 37, 37, 38, I don't know, 40 years? 1985, anyway. And you know what? I'm suffering with hay fever. And you know what? The darn leader of the church has not been to visit me. The senior pastor of this church has not set foot over my threshold. And I've been here from the beginning. What kind of senior pastor is he? He hasn't visited. He knows I'm suffering. Why hasn't he been to visit me? Sustain me. Tell me how wonderful I am. What I, you know, thank you for 40 odd years now being a faithful servant of the church. What kind of leader is he? The senior pastor says, shut up. You can't talk to me like that. Yes, I can. <laughs> No, you can't because I'm going. <laughs> That's what moaning and complaining does. Moaning and complaining only leaves you with two choices. Put up with it, get over it. Three choices. Put up with it, get over it, or leave. Yeah. I'm not telling anybody to do that. <laughs> we make those choices. So they complained to Moses. This is what's parallel with our Christian experience. One more, you can wake up one morning and feel in an utter wilderness. And the night before everything, no problem at all. The way it is. And then we start to look around. 
self-evaluate. Well, I'm unawareness. This isn't very good. It's not like this yesterday. Why? What have I done wrong? Where am I going? What's the, is it the enemy? No, it's just your emotions half the time. You just woke up grumpy. Why didn't you let them lay in? Don't wake up grumpy. Let them sleep on. The way we are. They look at things that were available in Egypt. The Christian says, it was better before I got saved. No, it wasn't. I've only been like this since I've got saved. Got a short memory. It's your character. You were like it before you got saved. But now some light is shone in your heart and showing up character defects. Well, things were available in Egypt to them. But in the wilderness, in the new land, in the new kingdom of God that we have been born into by, by the second birth, God says, I am your resource. Totally. Totally, I have to be your resource. We have to learn that this world cannot feed us spiritually. It can't give us spiritual food and spiritual drink. Can't do that. It was God who deprived them of water for three days. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It was God who took them over. It was God's idea of the Red Sea. God took them over. God's idea to bring them into a new land, which was a wilderness. So if God, that's God's idea, surely his provision will always go with it. When God called you out of the kingdom of darkness, his provision was waiting for you. He didn't just call you into the new kingdom and leave you alone to work your way through it or not. His provision was waiting on the other side. What we have to do is not get impatient with God. The provision will come. Jesus said, it's in me that you live and move and have your being. We can quote scripture very quickly, but we're not so keen to live in it, are we? Because it challenges the very root of our understanding. It challenges the very root of our faith and trust in God. We spend a lot of effort and time trying to make this world our home. It's not our home. I have no problem with being comfortable. I have no problem being a wise steward here and you know, caring. I'm all for all that kind of stuff. 
you know, I, I, there was an extremism. I was brought up in the early days in a certain church when I was, you know, five, six, seven years old. And, and one of the elders there one day turned up in a new suit. And one of the ladies said, well, you look smart this morning. And he said, turned around to her and he said, I'm never wearing that again. Doesn't give God the glory. Now, that, that's the extremism. He never wore it again. Went back to his old suit. That's ridiculous. But to him, with integrity, I'm not criticizing the guy, putting him down, that's what he believed. That's not what I believe. But this world, you have to make a decision. This world cannot be your home. The Bible says we're pilgrims, we're passing through. Pilgrim moves with a tent. I live in a house. But my house is not my home. My house is my residence while I'm in this wilderness. Just to keep me safe, dry, keep wild animals out. Wild an Do you know what? Wild animals? Wendy was sat in the back garden last week reading her book and a wild animal ran right past her. Right by her legs. Baby fox. Now you all went, oh, Wendy didn't. <laughs> she come, I've never seen her move. Well, the last time I saw her move that fast was when she walked down the aisle to marry me. <laughs> If only that was true. <laughs> they say to Moses and God, because when they talk to Moses, they're talking to God. Many Christians don't realize that. When you complain to a leader... God's listening. Because yeah. God has put that person in that position. That's true. Yeah, well, I don't like them. Well, take it up with God. Don't take it up with the leader. No. Thank you, God. You've led us out of slavery, but we don't like the food. The new food. We want to be out of slavery, but we want the same appetite and the same menu that we had back in Egypt. In Egypt, we had garlic and turnips and all sorts of things. They were slaves, but they had enough to eat. They had water to drink, but they were slaves. Many Christians want to be free from the slavery, but still have the same menu. We want to eat and be and do what we did in Egypt, but in a new land. And God says, no, not going to happen. That's not the diet that's going to be profitable for you. So we moan and complain. And God says in Exodus chapter 16, 
verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. What a thing to say. When you see a picture of what's going on in their mind, we'd have been better to have died in slavery than to come into this wilderness with no slavery free. But we can't organize this for ourselves. That's what they're saying. We want to organize it. We want to come into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. We want every good thing around us. So God, if you're not seen to bless me today, I'm grumpy. The word says he's already blessed you with every spiritual yes. blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, I understand that. I read that one, Rob. I understand that one. But hang on a minute. I need this. I need a new washing machine. I need a new television. I need a new bike. I need a new car. I need a better job because the job I got is rubbish. Hang on a minute. You told me only a couple of months ago God gave you that job. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's rubbish now. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, that by the hand of the Lord we had died in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> it's your fault, Moses. You back. The you see, when something dry kicks into your land... Where does your mind go? Back to the days of plenty. Wherever that was. When we do that, we're not saying, God, you brought me in. You will provide. Had God brought them in to starve them? You've got to ask yourself the question, has God brought me this far to starve me? But I'm not hearing from them. I feel empty. I feel. Has God brought you this far to just to walk away from you? He's teaching you to live the Christian life without living on feelings. Let me tell you something. Faith is not feelings. It affects my feelings when I'm in faith, but it's not based in my emotions or my feelings. It's bigger than that. My faith says whether God does or doesn't, he's still in control of my life. God says, I'm going to change your diet. Oh. Oh, change my diet. Yeah. I'm going to change my your diet to what I will supply, but it's your responsibility to eat it. 
and says to them, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God says, I'm going to rain bread, manna. I'm going to rain it down on you so much that you can go out and you can collect as much as you want on that day. You're going to wake up in the morning and all around you is going to be white with manna. So, so much, but it won't last into the second day. The second day, you've got to go out again and gather it in. But you can have as much as you want. Wow. Ooh, what grace and mercy is that? Unbelievable. In a wilderness, God says, I'm going to show you I can provide for you. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Jesus is the bread. I'm going to rain. You could read that. I'm going to rain Jesus down upon you. Daily. Daily. I'm going to rain him. Not just a little bit. We only get a little bit when we dictate how much time during the day we'll give him. When we pull back from gathering in, we only get a small part, portion. But when we spend time in his presence, and that everyone's diet, our, our ability to eat is dependent on the person. How much time you spend is dependent on where you're at with him. In your circumstances sometimes, I understand that. But I want to tell you, there's a limitless supply daily. Now, next, they come out of Mara, they deal with that deal with the bread situation and the water situation. They come to chapter 17 of Exodus. They don't know they're in chapter 17. We do. And again, they complain that there's no water. They're not learning the lessons. We are exactly the same we have a wonderful testimony at times of how God delivers us heals us, brings us out of whatever it may be and I want to say to you after a short period of time you don't hear that testimony anymore from people because their focus is now whatever God does with you now is should be there for you in the future. You can look back and say, well, if God did that then, he's the same God. I need him to do this over here, now slightly different, but he did it back there. He will do it again. He's capable and more than willing to do it again for me. 
because I live in a wilderness. I have no other provision than Jesus. We're not passing the tests. Dry places in our lives, we forget the provision of God. And sometimes it can just be a matter of days. Oh, thank God. Jesus, you met that need. Thank you, Jesus. I, I feel so much better. I'm, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the next day, you just wake up and... You have to ask yourself a question. Do you want Jesus to be Lord of your life or just the provider? Of life. It's a big difference. It's what Paul the Apostle discovered. He said, whether I am in abundance or whether I'm in lack, he said, I am content. What was he content with? Jesus Christ. He's got the author of life firmly the author of life firmly rooted in the right place. His foundation is Jesus Christ. So they get to the place where God's going to provide water from the rock. The manna's still there. The bread is Christ. Christ is the bread. The rock is Christ and the water is the Holy Spirit. They get to a place where water Moses and does what God tells him to do and water comes out of a rock. It's interesting because that rock followed them, the Bible says, through the wilderness. Never left them. But they still complain. They still complain. Didn't Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you? Yeah, but you don't know what I've got to face this week. No, and maybe I don't. You don't know what I got. Hey, fever. <laughs> God has provided everything for you to live in a wilderness. It's when you don't see this world as a wilderness. That's when the trouble kicks in. Well, I... If I got a better job, nothing wrong with having a better job, but if that's your only focus in your life, you're going to miss the provision of God. Because whatever it is you go after, eventually you'll tire of it. You really will tire of it. Even the latest hobby, whatever... You know, well, I'm off, I'll do this, and oh, it's brilliant, and I'll go here, then and it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Eventually, it becomes less brilliant. Oh, it's still nice, but it's not brilliant. This world cannot offer you contentment. It's something Christians have got to nail. This world is not my home. Not. My home's in a different kingdom.
problem is, you see, the world that I've grown up in, the natural unsaved world that I was in, has created habits within me. creates habits within you and the bible says the flesh wars against the spirit so i have this battle going on within me my flesh wants that because it will be exciting it will be nice it will be what i'm really craving for it's what i really want that's and the holy spirit says whoa 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 because he never raises his voice. You know that? Holy Spirit never shouts at you. Doesn't have to. He just whispers, hey, you don't need that. I want to be your sustenance. I will bring into your life that which God the Father has ordained before the foundation of the world should be your path. Because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I'm here living within you, God within you, that says, hey, just listen to my small voice. It's difficult to hear you at times. Yes, I know it is. That's because part of you is looking over there. One of the things I've discovered with losing some of your hearing, which I have, it's it's a good thing because sometimes you can see people's mouth moving, but you can't catch what they're saying. And I've got a hearing aids now with a couple of buttons on the back. And I'll, you, know, you push the buttons to try to adjust the volume and the clarity and everything. But it doesn't always work, does it, Lord? We've got the same ones, haven't we? Yeah. Sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's not. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I can tune into him and it's absolutely brilliant. Other times it's just a very small voice in the background. But there's a big voice coming in this way. Big voice. And God says, you choose who you're going to listen to. Because you are responsible, nobody else. There is nobody else you can blame for your response. Other people may have done bad things to you, but your response is personal. I choose how I want to respond. Don't always get it right. But the choice is mine. You know what the Bible says? Soft word turns away anger. A soft word. 
I want to blow them out of this world. I've had enough. <laughs> They'd say that again if they do that again. I tell you, I've had enough. And I'm suffering with a fever, which is aggravating it. <laughs> You've got to come to the point that says there's nothing in this world that can feed me spiritually. It can't add one little bit to me. can't. He didn't bring you out into a wilderness of this world to starve and to go dry and thirsty. No way. But he will not force you to eat and drink. He won't force you. You've got to choose that. I told you the other day about my younger brother, John. He's got a chip on his shoulder. My mother used to make us, me and Andrew, eat the greens. John had chips. Because <laughs> John was eight years younger than me, the baby of the family. And John didn't like greens. Not in this morning. Me and Andrew used to look at him, talk about Joseph and his brothers. <laughs> A lovely brother, both of them. Lovely brothers. We were forced to eat a diet. But it was good. Yeah. Although John, my mother gave John chips and egg and ham every day. <laughs> you know, he worked in the dockyard. Well, he didn't work in the dockyard. He <laughs> went to the dockyard. He used to spend most of the day sleeping. They used to do the maintenance on the big tower with the frigates going under the cover. And there's big lifts in there and, you know, machinery and what have you. You say, you should go up the top of the towers, he said, and we're supposed to be maintaining that. He said, we used to go sleep. He said, I'd go out partying until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, go to work and go to sleep. Yeah. But well, that's not the point I was trying to make. <laughs> for the, I think it was something like 10, after he finished his apprenticeship, for another eight or 10 years, every day he had steak and chips, uh, no, steak pie and chips. Every day to eat for dinner. That was his every day. Steak, pie, and chips every day. No wonder he was like he was. God doesn't, for we eat what we like, don't we? But some of it's good and some of it's not so good for us, but we eat what we like. But this bread, which is rained down from heaven, it's the most wonderful food you can ever eat. And the water is the Holy Spirit, which turns it into a meal. I don't crave spiritual food naturally. I don't crave it naturally. I have to develop the taste for it. 
And I always remember um, when I first started drinking. First alcoholic drink I had was a can of bitter. Went into an off-license. I was six, 16 at the time. Went into an off-license, bought this can of bitter because it was... And I was on my bike, my scooter. I was a mod at the time, and we were going over to a point ferry. And all my mates were there, and we took out this can of bitter. <laughs> Stood there, popped the cane over it, took a swig, and nearly died. <laughs> it was revolting. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. My mate said, what's the last I said, I didn't like that. He said, no, you've got to develop a taste for it. He said, you've got to work at it. So I picked up that half or three-quarter can of bitter and it went right over the side of the Tall Point Ferry. What was so wonderful about, you know, the image, drinking bitter. Now, sadly, I did develop a taste for alcohol. I quickly learned it cost me a lot of money and it never sustained me because I had to have more I had to have more and I had to have a drink because all my mates drink and you can't be the odd one out but it never sustained me because during the work the next day I'm living for what I can potentially do in the evening of that day. I've got to find something to do. Where's my mates? What are we doing? We used to meet in the Good Companions pub. It's knocked down, eh? And uh, we all had, you know, high-powered cars and whatever. And we used to meet in there every night and get up to all kinds of stuff. Some of it illegal. But it couldn't sustain me. But I had a craving. It's a craving, not just for drink but a craving for something of excitement yeah. in my life. I was on the wrong diet. We've got to learn to avoid substitutes. One of the greatest ploys of the enemy is to send you a substitute for what God's got. And it's on our apparent down days. But actually, there aren't any down days. It's just that we forgot to get dressed that day. The Bible says this, I will put on I will put on what am I going to get dressed in? Come on, I can't hear you. People on the screen can't hear you. The garment of praise. Why? For the spirit of heaviness. When you're feeling heavy, when you're feeling empty, you put on, on top of your armor that you never take off. Do you know you go to bed as the most 
clumpiest person is ever been. You sleep with your armor on. Don't realize it, do you? But that's what you should do. Never take it off. But I'll put on a garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness will leave me. What will it do? But do I want it to? Because part of me grew up with a habit of making people feel sorry for me because I got attention. There's something about us that loves attention. But when I put on a garment of praise, do you know what? I get attention. And Wendy touched on it this morning at the front. When I put on a garment of praise, it becomes a spiritual aroma A spiritual aroma. You smell nice. And God says, wow. You've got my attention. Wow. Your, your praise ascends to heaven as a spiritual sacrifice. A sweet-smelling sacrifice. <laughs> Do you know the, the Bible also says that praise looks good on you? Amen. When you get up tomorrow morning, stop thinking about what you're going to wear and say this, I'm going to put on a garment of praise because it looks good on me. Yeah. Then yeah. I'll work out what I'm going to wear. Too simple, Rob. Well, you've got two choices. Stay in a wil this wilderness with no nothing to eat or drink or do something about it. Well, I'm asking God. God says, don't play tennis with me. The number of times God has said that to me, don't stop playing tennis with me. You've good it. Batting the ball back into my court, God says, where I have given you authority. I have given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So pick it up and run with it. Wow. And when I put on a garment of praise, I'm going to tell you, it's not long before I've even forgotten how grumpy I woke up. But it's a choice. It's a choice. I'm just grateful that God's greater than my heart. He's greater than my moods. He's greater than all my emotions. He knows I'm made of dust because he made me. He knows where I come from. Bit of dirt on the floor. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. But he has created in me and in you something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You are a brand Thank new you. creation. Thank you, Jesus. 
When you're feeling grumpy, when you're feeling lost, when you're feeling empty, when you're feeling down, whatever phrase you want to quote, just remember this. You are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. It's like waking up to a brand new day at that moment in Christ. He's done it. And there we are saying, God, will you do it? Will you, will you take me out? Will you help me? In? Will, you, will you? And he says, I've done it. I've done it. Your bank account's full of money. Just spend it. Your spiritual bank account is full of money. Do you know what? Most people that are down grumpy don't realize they've got more in their spiritual bank than they eat because they don't go to the bank. Check your balance. Check your balance sometime. God, you said you'd overflow. Oh, my balance. I'm going to tell you, my balance is chopped right up because he's blessed me with every spiritual blessing. And he'll deal with the natural side of your life, as I call it. He knows you need food. He knows you need shoes. He knows you need a roof over your head. And Jesus said this, if you'll follow me, my Father in heaven, which is, I think is the only job I can think that the Father does. I may be wrong on that, but I think that's probably right. The only job that responsibility the Father has is to provide a roof over your head, food on your table, shoes on your feet. So that's my Father's role. You just come after me. My Father will provide in a wilderness. Amen? Let's stand together. Did I tell you I'm suffering with hay fever? <laughs> <laughs>